You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 40. Look at all these kids today. Look at all these children leaving out today. Isn't that great? Christina is doing a tremendous job in our children's ministry, and we're so thankful for that, for what she does. Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, beginning at verse 40. We left off last week um, coming to this passage here. Remember, Luke is written by Luke the physician, traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. He is uh, a master a master of language. He, he paints such a vivid picture for his friend Theophilus, helping him to understand uh, the chronological order of Jesus Christ and helping him to, uh, Theophilus to grow in his faith. So uh, we left off last week, and I want you to look at verse 37 because it said, you remember last week we talked about, uh, Luke tells us this story about Jesus and the disciples coming through that storm and then they get out there at the Gadarean coastline and, uh, and, and there's that demonic, that man that's possessed by legion, legions of demons and uh, Jesus in, in, in casts those demons out, sets that man free and, and the city calls for a citywide revival and a time of celebration, a time of prayer. No, that's not it at all. In fact, the Bible says that in verse 37, I want you to see this, Luke chapter 8, verse 37, that all the people of the region of the Gerasenes, that Gadarean area, asked Jesus to do what? To leave them. And the Bible says, Luke says, because they were overcome with fear, so they got into the boat and they left. And a lot of people say, well, it was because of fear. Well, yeah, it was fear. They had, they had lost 2,000 pigs. And you remember we said this. What business did Jewish people have with pigs anyway? You see, Jesus was getting rid of something they should have never had to begin with. And these people, listen, they love pigs more than they love people. They were more upset about losing 2,000 pigs than they were about seeing a man set free from bondage to demonic oppression. So in essence, they said, Jesus, we need you to leave. And I want you to know something, in a lot of homes, in a lot of marriages, in a lot of families, in a lot of countries, in a lot of communities, a lot of governments, there are people today that say, look, Jesus, there's no room for you here. We don't have no room for you in our public school system. We don't need you here. Jesus, we don't need you in our court system any longer. Jesus, we don't need you in Congress any longer. Jesus, we don't need you in the White House any longer. Jesus, we want you out of this country. We want you out of this state. We want you out of this community. Churches are closing everywhere, which bears evidence to the fact that this city, this community says, we don't want you here. Every time you and I don't show up for church, that's a vote against the church. And so these people said, Jesus, you need to move on. Now, I love this. I want you to look at verse 40 of chapter 8. Look at Luke 40. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned... As when he came back across the lake, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Don't you know that was great? Man, listen, they were looking. 
There was some, there was on one side of the lake, there were people saying, look, you take your disciples and you get out of here. There was another side of the lake, they were saying, man, Jesus is here. Y'all come on, boy, we're going to celebrate again. Man, they were excited. And I want you to know something, that's a great thing about God's people. They are always excited when Jesus shows up. Now in verse 41, it said that a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, he came and he fell at the feet of Jesus. And he pleaded with him, that is Jesus, to come to his house because his only daughter of about 12 years of age was dying. Now you remember, Ledge told you the story about the centurion. And he talked about that centurion and how that centurion had a, had a servant. And that man was very sick and how he sent a delegation to Jesus. And listen, he told Jesus, he said, and finally he said, look, Jesus, I'm not worthy for you to come into my home. If you'll just say the word, my servant will be made well. That centurion, the Bible said, built a synagogue. Jairus probably was the ruler of the synagogue that that centurion built. Now, this man named Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, this one who watched over the synagogue, had a daughter. She's 12 years old. She's dying. So he sends word. He comes to Jesus. And basically what Luke says, he says that this man, this ruler of the synagogue, he just falls down at the feet of Jesus. He is driven by agony. He is driven by the fact that he loves his little girl and now she's hanging in the balance and her life is just about gone. And so here she is. Now let's read on. As Jesus was on his way, the crowd almost crushed him. Okay? Now Luke uses a word there, crushed, and it's the word strangled. The crowd was pressing in so much on Jesus that he could hardly move through the crowd. Now let me ask you something. Who do you think is trying to pull Jesus along? Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. He is driven by agony. He's saying, listen, he just collapses at the feet of Jesus. He says, Lord, my daughter is dying. I need you to come and I need you to come as quickly as you can. The Bible says that the crowd was pressing and crushing and strangling him almost to the point that he couldn't hardly move. Just pressing so much so. I remember one time when Jeffrey, and I've told you this, we were in Walmart and I was on one side of Walmart, Sheila was on the other, and all of a sudden something, he had some kind of reaction. We still don't know to this day. Was it a spider bite? We weren't sure. All of a sudden he just began to have trouble breathing. He began to swell. He began to turn purple. We thought we were losing him. I heard him scream across that Walmart. I ran, grabbed him up. We ran, jumped in the car, sped to the doctor's office right next to the hospital. I walked in holding that little fella. As I walked in, the nurse, the receptionist said, can I help you? I walked right past her. I said, where's Dr. Greer? And I was crying. I said, where's Dr. Greer? And I promise you this... I was pushing doors open through those rooms. Where is Dr. Greer? Patient after patient until finally I came in. Dr. Greer, was Dr. Greer was treating a child when I busted in there in the middle of an examination and said, my, my son, Dr. Greer, I think he's dying. And Dr. Greer said, my God, Jeff, what's wrong? Immediately stopped what he was doing, picked my son up in his arms and began to deal with that. This is Jairus. 
Jairus is here, his, his heart is breaking, he falls at the feet of Jesus, and now the crowd is strangling, it's crushing in on Jesus, and Jairus is trying to hurry them along. And the Bible says here, Luke describes it vividly. In verse 43, it said a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years because no one could heal her. Imagine this scene. I always think the angels of heaven leaned over and I believe, I believe the Father nudged one of the angels and said, watch this. This is good. Because we see, Luke tells us, we see this woman, she's a bent over figure. She's pale, she's diseased. Mark chapter 5 tells us in verse 26 that she had spent everything that she had trying to alleviate this problem, this hemorrhaging, this loss of blood, but nothing worked. Now Levitical law made this woman unclean. This is why when Jesus said, who touched me? This woman, she didn't want to own up to it because she was breaking Levitical law. Levitical law, in Leviticus chapter 15, it said this, if you had a hemorrhage of blood, you were unclean and you shouldn't be near nobody else. Here she was in the middle of a pressing crowd, squeaking and tipping and shuffling her feet along, trying to reach close enough to touch the hem of his garment. Because that's what she said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. Now there's an interesting thing here, according to Numbers chapter 15, men would wear a a garment, a long garment, and Jesus had one on, that had a tassel on all four corners. Okay? So there was a tassel in the front. The tassel would hang down with a cord of blue in it, and in Numbers 15, it was to remind them of the commandments of God. And so here Jesus is coming along. He's got this, he's got this long flowing garment. There's a tassel that hangs on the front corner, a tassel on the back corner, and a tassel on each side. So as he's making his way along, the woman's thinking to herself, she's bent up, she's all stoked up, she's diseased, she's been losing blood. But she's thinking to herself, if I could just touch that tassel, if I could touch that tassel, I'd be well. And so here we see this scene. And Levitical law had been taken to the degree that probably this woman had lost her marriage because she was unclean and probably was ostracized because the people of that day believed that because of this she probably was a sinner. And so she was ostracized and alienated. And yet we see her coming coming along. In verse 44, it said she came up behind him and touched the edge of his garment, his cloak. She touched that tassel. In Numbers 15, she... She touched it and immediately her bleeding began to stop. In verse 45, Jesus said, who touched me? Jesus asked when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd is pressing. They're they're crowding it around you. What do you mean? Who's touched you? There's people everywhere. They're all touching you and pressing against you, wanting to get their fingers. I listen. He was like a celebrity. Everybody was wanting to touch him, to put their hand on his hair or to brush his face or to touch his garment. I mean, everybody was wanting to touch him. Peter said, Lord, there are people all around you. They're pressing in on you. All of them want you to, all of them want to touch you. Jesus said, no. This touch is different. Look at verse 46. Someone touched me and I know that power has gone out from me. Can you imagine Jarius? Are you kidding? Are you are are you kidding? 
Don't you think that Peter caught a glimpse of Jairus, this man whose child is hanging on the brink of death, and, and Jesus is sitting here trying to contemplate and figure out who's touched him, and Jairus is wanting to say, well, what's it matter who's touched you? My daughter's dying. Have you ever been in a hurry? Oh, I don't know about you. And I know the devil does this. When you're in a hurry, what happens? You've got to be somewhere. You don't have a lot of time. Boy, you get in the car, man. You get in the driveway. Boy, you crank the car up. Boy, you're ready. You look like, you look like uh, Gordon pulling out. I mean, buddy, you are revving the engines up. Buddy, you gotta, I gotta, we got to get there. We've got to get there fast. And it never fails. The enemy, I know he does this, will put me behind the little old white-headed woman <laughs> with a handicapped sticker on her car. And she's doing about, about 25, 30. She's stopping. She's obeying every rule of the traffic. And yes, preachers start getting, oh man, I, I got to get around her. You know, we're whipping around her, you know. Jarius couldn't do that. So here he is. He's watching Jesus. And Jesus said, who touched me? Power left me. In verse 47, then the woman. Now, the reason the woman was reluctant because she was breaking Levitical law. She could have been stoned, put to death for this. In essence, listen, if she had not been made clean in that moment, she made all of the crowd around her dirty, unclean, and she made who else unclean? Jesus. So then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Why would Jesus push this? For Jarius. Jarius needed to see that he needed to see this. You see, Jarius needed to hear something. He needed to see the power of Jesus Christ and the healing. And I want you to know something else. There were a lot of people that were pressing against Jesus, but only one was healed. Every one of those people needed a touch. You know, in a service like this, there'll be some people, listen, man, your mind's a thousand miles away. You could care less about worship, care less about the Word of God. You'll forget it as soon as you walk out the door. There's some of you, though, the Holy Spirit will grip your heart. You'll mull over it, think about it. It'll come up day or two later. Boy, you'll still be thinking about it. Some of you in this room will receive a blessing. Others will not. Why? Because some of you will touch the hem of Jesus' garment because you have faith and you're believing and you're looking for it. A lot of people were touching only one woman. Only one person. And I love this. Verse 48. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. You know, that's the only time in the scripture that Jesus ever used that term. That's the only time he ever used it where he called, he called this woman daughter. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Wow. Now verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Imagine this scene. Your daughter. Jairus, your daughter is dead. The person who brought the message said, don't, don't bother the teacher. Don't bother him anymore. I tell you what, folks, I've been to a lot of hospitals where somebody, a doctor, would walk out and you'd shake his head and say, I'm sorry, she's gone. I've seen parents who've 
stood there, stood with parents in an ER in an accident or whatever. Doctor come out and say, I'm, I'm sorry, we did everything we could. He's gone. I've watched families just all of a sudden just wail, just collapse. And I can imagine as Jarius, all of a sudden the weight of this, Jarius, your, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. I lo- look at verse 50, hearing this. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jarius, don't be afraid, just believe. She'll be healed. He doesn't need healing, he needs a resurrection. The Bible said Jesus heard. He says, don't be afraid. That's what he always said. Fear not, don't be afraid. Don't allow fear to overcome you right now. You just believe, you hang on to your faith. And she will be healed. Verse 51. When he arrived at the house of of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Can you imagine... I've thought about this. Can you imagine the journey from the moment that he receives the word that his daughter is dead to actually getting to his home? You know, I don't think the crowd dispersed I think, if anything, the crowd was even more. I mean, uh, they, 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 they probably said, Hey, the, the messenger said, Jarius, the ruler of the city, got, they, they said, his daughter's dead. But the, but the master of the Galilean, the man from Nazareth, Jesus says that she's going to live. Hey, we need to go see this. So I guess the crowd pressed in and strangled him even more. So here's Jarius, the ruler of the synagogue. Can you imagine the journey from that point to there? You know, listen, sometimes Jesus Christ calls us to make a journey with Him that is not pleasant. Sometimes it's just a journey by faith. Sometimes everything is negative, everything's gone wrong. There's nothing to hope in. Listen, humanly speaking, physically speaking, as far as man was concerned, there was no hope at all. She is dead, Jarius. She is gone. Jesus said, listen, you don't pay attention to that. Don't don't fear. You trust me, she's going to be all right. You're talking about a walk of faith? So now all of a sudden, look at verse 52. Meanwhile, all the people were welling and mourning for her. It was great loss. Stop welling, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. You remember what we said? Listen to a statement here made by G. Campbell Morgan. He said, death is separation of the soul from God and not the body. In verse 53, they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Coroner had already been there. She's dead. But he took her by the hand. Imagine that. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Imagine that. Can you imagine Jesus leaning over her? Rubs Rubs his hand. Listen, hey, the creator of the universe, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, Elohim, Yahweh, the I Am. Can you imagine the dead child, 12 years old, laying there, and he lays his hand on her, lays his hand on her forehead and smiles at the parents, and watch what he says. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. 
In the Greek, egairo. Arise, get up. Her spirit returned. At once she stood up. Then Jesus told them, give her something to eat. You remember I said this a couple of weeks ago, death will take it out of you. Give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Boy, isn't that great. And all God's people said, amen. Now let's read on. Look at chapter 9. When Jesus, they called the 12 together. You thought you were going home. You're not going home yet. When Jesus, they called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority. That word power is dudamas. Dudamis. It's that word that we get our word dynamite. He gave them power and the authority. You say, well, why is that important? God not only gives you and I, the church, the power to do what what we need to do, but He gives us the right to do it. He gives the authority here. Now watch this. To drive out all demons, to cure diseases, and He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. The power that they had was to arrest and attest the message that they were giving. Given. They were being sent out. Now watch what he tells them. He says they were sent out not to cast out demons and to cure diseases. They were sent out to preach the kingdom of God. All those other frills and chills, listen, were just to give them the authority and to give them the recognition to arrest and attest the crowd so that the crowd would listen to the message of the gospel. And so here... Watch what Jesus says in verse 3. He tells his disciples, he said, Now listen, don't take anything for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. How many of you would want to travel that way? Can you imagine going on a mission trip, coming into the airport, a group to see you off? Well, I'm here. Where's your bag? You need some help with your bags? I don't have no bags. You got a piece of luggage? Shaving kit, backpack, fanny pouch. I mean, surely you got something. Nothing. You know what Jesus was saying? He was saying to these disciples, he said, listen, travel light, this is going to be a faith trip. You're going to be traveling by faith. You're not going to be t- depending on your ability to plan and, uh, and, and to get all of those things together. I'm going to take care of all of the essentials. You just go. You know, a lot of times people, let me, let me give you a miracle. You're talking about a miracle. Do you realize that it cost us over $50,000 to take down that building back there? Do you realize that it cost us $28,000 to put a roof on that building down there? Do you realize that in the last several months, this church has spent nearly $90,000 simply trying to do the things that we've been called to do? You know what I call that? I call that a miracle. Jesus said, listen, travel light. Verse 4, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. He not only said travel light, he said, listen, be content with the lodging that's offered to you. You know what he's saying to these disciples? He's saying, listen, this is a faith journey. And this, listen, this is not about your comfort. This is not about, this is not about you. This is not about you being comfortable. This is not about you sitting there and grading and 
contemplating, determine whether you're going to pledge your membership here just one more week or not. This is not about you, Jesus was saying. This is a faith journey. You're to travel light and you're to be content with whatever you find yourself in. I can tell you this much and Jeff will attest to this. We sat down in some homes of some Africans that were poor as dirt. They didn't have anything. They were content with a very, very... They had nothing. They pulled out what little they had. It was boiled sadza, cornmeal that they had boiled into a paste. They pulled out marivo, those greens that they had chopped up. They pulled out that matamasi, that tomato and onion relish, tomato relish they made that you dip that sadza in. They pulled out a piece of meat and I thought to myself, this is going to be fun because I'm going to watch Jeff. They're going to give him that piece of meat because he's a big man. And I knew better. I didn't want the meat because the meat's like shoe leather. And I can tell you this much what Jesus was saying. Listen, you travel light and you be content with what you have. And he said, listen, if people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet. If you get a reception that is hostile, they won't receive your word, then listen, you just walk out of that sea. It was customary for a Jew to do this when they went into a pagan land. When a Jew went into a pagan city or a pagan land, you know the first thing they did as they were leaving? Make sure I get all that off of me. I don't want to take that with me. They looked at it about like stepping in dog poop. Could you imagine if that's the way we were about the things of the world? They didn't want to bring it with them. Jesus said, listen, you do what any good Jew would do. You shake that dust from your feet and you move on. You may say, well, why say that? Because listen, if your neighbor won't listen next door to you, maybe the neighbor next to them will. There comes that point that you just literally, you just try to be the best testimony, you live that life out in front of them, but if they won't hear at the office or wherever you are, they move on to somebody else. Don't spend your life consumed with somebody. Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Now let's move on, we've got to close. Now Herod the Teacharch, heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed. Boy, I love that. Because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Why? Because he had put John to death. Others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this? I hear such things about, and he tried to see him. Now read on, let's read on. When the, when the apostles returned, where did they return from? They had been out casting demons, healing the sick, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and now they come back to give a report. Look at this. What they did, they put a report together and sent it to the association. They got a report together and they were recognized at the state convention. They got a report together as being one of the fastest growing churches in America and they were recognized at the Southern Baptist Convention. My friend, it didn't say any of that. It said they, didn't, they weren't talking about percentages. They weren't talking about stats. They weren't talking about any of that. I tell you what they did. They just came and said, Jesus, let me tell you what we've been doing. Well, that's the joy of it, isn't it? Watch this. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then, they, then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. Where the crowds learned about it. 
This is intense discipleship. Jesus pulls them off, but the crowds learned about it, followed him. He welcomed them. Isn't that great? Could you imagine? Hey, whoa, I'm too tired. Me and my disciples need some time to ourselves. You people are going to have to wait. No. The Bible says Jesus welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed to be healing, who needed healing. Now we're going to close in a moment, but I want, to, I want you to see this. This was probably mid-April. We're coming up on here. Which meant the sun would set about 6 o'clock in the evening. So it's about 4.30 in the evening in verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Master, or, or they said, send the crowd away. They're talking to... Now the disciples are telling Jesus, Jesus, now listen, I know you're tender and I know you're soft, but listen, you need to send the crowd away. Now watch this. Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. Okay? They said, look, it's 4.30 in the evening. We're, getting, we're, we're in a remote, deserted area. There, these people, listen, there are 5,000 men plus women and children. There are, a, there are probably 12,000 people. Lord, there's no way we can handle this. You need to disperse the crowd. They're not going to do it until you do it. You need to disperse them, send them on their way, and, and, and remedy this problem. And Jesus looked at him. You know what he said? He said, you feed them. That's exactly what he said. You feed them. That's Greek. You feed them. Lord, there are 12,000 people here. We've got five barley loaves and two fish. And what is that among so many people? <laughs> you feed them. Watch this. He replied, you give them something to eat. What he was saying, you attempt the impossible. You give them what you don't have. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there, not counting women and children. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. He's Irene here. This is Irene Hughes. Somebody at Pine Lake yesterday was working. And, and they finally stopped and looked at Irene and said, uh, are, are y'all going to feed all of us from here working? And Irene said, yes, we are. The guy from Pine Lake said, well, that big group down there working in, in the back down there in the ball field, y'all going to feed them? And Irene said, uh, yeah, yes, we are. And Irene said, we're going to feed that big group over there at uh, Woodville Heights Elementary School from Pine Lake and our people over there. We're going to bring them all over here and we're going to feed them too. Irene said he started laughing. He said, you're kidding. She said, no, I'm not. And I want you to know something. God provided more food than we needed. That's right, Janice. He always does. Now look at this. Watch what happens here. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so. Everybody sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. This scene here and the language here is in the imperfect tense. And what that means is, is they kept giving. Now everybody look this way. Go ahead and stand. This is, this is what happens. Okay? And I want, you, I want you to see this. 
it's in the imperfect tense here. He has, he has five barley loaves and two fish. Okay? The disciples give it. Now listen. Everybody, now look, if I was standing up here with five, uh, five uh, little hamburger buns or something that maybe you could understand, five little loaves and a couple little small brim that Leo brought, uh, uh, you know, you, you would, and, and I said, now folks, in a moment we're going to kind of divide you up into groups and we're going to begin to serve you this food here. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, sure. Brother Jeff has lost it. I knew it was going to catch up with him sooner or later. He worked. He got, he got too much sun yesterday. I think he's dehydrated still from yesterday. Something's wrong with it. Okay? That's the way you'd feel. So here's, these, here's the 12 disciples, including Judas. He's got five barley loaves, two fish. He's got 12,000 people sitting in front, standing, sitting now in groups of 50, sitting all around in groups of 50. In the imperfect tense, this is what happened. The Bible said that he took the bread and he took the fish and he blessed it. Now this is what happens in, in the original language. He starts creating the bread and the barley out of his hands. In other words, as he's passing it out, it's coming out of his hands. It literally is just coming out. They see barley loaf after barley loaf. He's passing out barley loaves. Just passing them out. See, we like to think that Jesus kind of went, you know, or had a basket, you know, and then, voila, or pulled it out of his hat, you know. But it's not like that at all. The imperfect tense here is, is that he was just creating it out of his hands. He was just handing barley loaf after barley loaf, fish after fish after fish. Just the imperfect tense, just on and on, on and on. 12,000 people are being fed. 11 men are dispersing the, 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 the food now. And just on and on it goes. How long it takes, we don't know. Wow. What a mighty God we serve. And, and you doubt him, and I doubt him about my finances, about my marriage, about my grades, about my education, about my parenting, about how I'm going to make ends meet, about I'm going to... Now listen, if you live in disobedience to the Word of God, God may discipline you and spank you and take you through a time to get your attention so that you don't live beyond your means. But listen, that's the kind of God you and I serve. I don't know about you, but I'm 55 years old. He's always come through. Sometime at the last minute. But he comes through. Heads bowed and with eyes closed, nobody looking around. Our, our Heavenly Father, dear Lord, we ask you. We praise you. We give you all glory. Oh, dear Lord, uh, you just smiled. You thought about Moses when Moses said, Lord, how in the world will I feed two million people? Lord, we're out in the middle of a desert. And the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us, Yahweh, said, Moses, in the morning, the heavens will rain down bread. And early the next morning, the Jews came, and across that wilderness, across that desert floor, as far as they could see, 
were a small seed that looked like sesame seed. As they gathered it up and they baked it, it tasted like bread that had this taste of honey to it. They were told just gather enough for that day, except on the Sabbath. Jesus, you said pray for daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Why should it surprise us that 12,000 people could be fed with five barley loaves and two fish from an all-sufficient God? And Lord, I pray today, there's some in this room, they need a miracle. They need, dear Lord, as Jarius to walk that journey of faith and to keep believing and trusting. Dear Lord, I've been in this church 15 years. Been many a time I've wondered whether it would make it. Been many a struggle, many a difficulty. But Lord, there was always in that journey that simple whisper in my ear, just keep walking. Everything will be all right. Lord, I pray for those that need a miracle today that you would divinely intervene in their life, provide for their needs, take care of anything that may be going on in their life where they need a word from you. And Father, we'll give you the glory. And Lord, most of all, there's someone here that doesn't know you that today the hands that can feed 12,000 would wrap their arms and those hands around some person in this room, breathe into them the power of your Holy Spirit and cause them to be born again. Father, speak to us in the name of Jesus.